0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thanks for downloading. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Still in Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining me on my right, my gracious host for the weekend, it's the coach, Corey Burton.
1: What's going on, professor? What's going on, Josh? Uh, Trying to be awake. We,
2: We are doing this early on a Sunday morning.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Early Sunday morning pod because I will be flying cross country during our usual recording hour tonight, so we're getting it in early. Um, so, like coaches mentioned, in the second city, it's a man who had a very late night watching Stanford Washington. It's our blogger Josh Cook. Yeah, man,
2: I got to keep on top of everything. So, uh, you, you still you still in the Christian McCaffrey train for Heisman? I think he definitely deserves to be invited. I don't know if I would put him ahead of Leonard Fournette or Ezekiel Elliott, but yeah, I mean. What he brings is so dynamic that it's kind of reminiscent of uh, of a certain Michigan winner, where they just did so much that the all-purpose yardage starts to add up. You really at least got to invite him. I think.
0: Does this Does uh, this Michigan man uh, cur- is he currently employed by College Game Day?
2: He is currently employed by College Game Day, and he's a delightful he's a delightful giggle whenever Lee Corso does something funny.
0: Yes, he's uh, he's he's one of the highlights of game day every week for me. We all love Desmond Howard around here. Oh yeah. So, uh, well, on today's show, we're going to take a look at all of the craziness from uh, the weekend in college football. But uh, as always, we're starting with our quick slant. So, uh, up first, it's the man to my right.
1: It's the coach. All right, man. All right. So, I'm going to start with the SEC roundup. Um, I want to just make a quick note about Ole Miss. Uh, they won 23 to three. They they improved to 62 over Texas A&M. Disappointed in Texas A&M, thought they were going to have more fight. Um, They didn't. They came out and seemed like they laid down, just couldn't get anything going. Defensively, they couldn't get much pressure on Chad Kelly, and and, and he made him pay. He was 26-41, 241, and two touchdowns. Uh, The secondary did get a hold of him. He he threw three interceptions. But uh, Ole Miss had a great game plan, and and they control their own destiny in the the SEC West. And for them looking so bad against Memphis – and then losing again and dropping a conference game earlier in the year, they still control their own destiny because they have that tiebreaker over Alabama. So if they have the exact same conference record, Ole Miss will go to Atlanta and Bama will likely go to the playoff. Um, LSU, and what was a monsoon condition, uh, beat Western Kentucky 48-20. to 20. Uh, Western Kentucky competed as long as they could. Um, they carried in a 14-7 uh, to 7 deficit in the halftime, but uh, LSU exploded in the second half. Uh, Leonard Fournette, 25 carries, 158 and a touchdown. Uh, Brandon Harris, 11 of twenty, two three touchdowns. And their leading receiver was uh, Mr. Doral. He had five catches, 132 and a touchdown. So um, LSU starting slow. Uh, maybe it's just because they were looking ahead to, to Alabama, but um, they look at, you know, 48-20. Mississippi State, resurgent. Uh, they improved to 6-2, and 42-16 over Kentucky. Kentucky just – I think they just ran into a buzzsaw on the road. There wasn't much they could do. It just didn't seem like – just didn't seem like they had much of an answer for what Mississippi State did on offense. Dak Prescott, 25 of 35, 348 yards, three touchdowns. He did get picked off once. Prescott, Dak Prescott was their leading rusher as well, 13 carries, 117 yards. And three touchdowns, so it looks like that Prescott, one forty-two to sixteen, over Kentucky. Uh, Mississippi State is uh, plowing ahead. They're six and two. They're still lying in the weeds. Um, this season has uh, still got a long way to go. Still a lot of things can unfold in the SEC West. So hang on to your hats. Uh, Al- well, we'll talk about the Alabama-Tennessee game here in a little bit in our uh, in our play action segment. Uh, Vandy-Mizzou. Another offensive shootout. Vandy is victorious. They improved to three and four with a ten to three victory over the four and four Missouri Tigers. Uh, Drew Locke, fourteen of thirty four. Ouch. Uh, for one hundred and eight. Ouch. Um, Locke was also their leading rusher, eight carries and thirty nine yards. And Leftwich was their leading receiver, um, three catches, thirty eight yards. Uh, Trent Sherfield, freshman, was the leading receiver for Vandy, five catches, thirty five yards. Uh, and and Shermer. I can't remember his first name, um, but at 10 to three, I'm not going to learn your first name yet. Um, he was 10 of 20 for 89 yards. Um, he's a true freshman. Uh, Vandy looks like they're going in the right direction. They're going to go back and, and play a lot of young guys and, and just see what they can do and see how they can develop them uh, in a couple of years. Yandy, candy. Uh, Vandy might be competitive here. Um, Auburn, Arkansas. We will get to that in a little while. So, Um, I got a quick question for you, actually, Coach, Uh, a two-part
0: question. First of all, uh, did that victory save Derek Mason's job?
1: uh, I think it did uh, for now. I I think that the youth movement, um, getting McCreary out at quarterback, um, putting the young guy in, putting a lot of young guys in, I think that's going to save his job. Uh, They're going to give him time to develop. They're going to be patient with him just really because they're Vandy and they really don't have a choice.
0: And then my second question for you is, Who's, this might be a long question. This is a question for both of you guys. Who's the best quarterback in the SEC? Because my money might be on Dak Prescott.
1: Yeah, it, it, in the beginning of the year, I probably would have said Patrick Tolles, Chad Kelly. Um, Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen. But as it sits right now, Dak Prescott's number one. I think Chad Kelly's number two.
2: Josh, who do you think is the best quarterback in the SEC right now? Oh, uh-huh. I had uh, – State as a deep, deep sleeper because of Dak Prescott, so I'll I'll will stick with him. Yeah, I think Dak. I, I think you know. I
0: think one of the guys who's actually been coming on pretty strongly is Brandon Harris at LSU. He's looked real good this last couple games.
1: So we'll and, see. and Brandon Allen too at, at Arkansas. He uh he quite you know he was nineteen thirty one for two thirty three and three touchdowns against Auburn. He looked pretty good. He's getting more and more comfortable. So. I mean, you got to throw his name in there. I, I don't think he's going to compete for the quarterback of the year by any stretch, but you know, Arkansas is three and four. They're they're improving every week. They're getting more and more competitive every week. So, you know, take a look for them. They can play the spoiler role for a lot of these games.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thanks, Coach uh, Josh. Uh, we're gonna we're, you're up to the line next with your uh, quick slant. What you got for us?
2: Uh, yeah, well, Coach did a great job of recapping. The SEC games and some of the stuff that was going on there. But um, I, I noticed some weird coaching stuff that I, I think you guys might get a kick out of. It, and some of them involve SEC coaches. So I think it segues nicely. Uh, the first is uh, Dan Mullen is quietly creeping up the ranks of Mississippi State's all time coaches. He's third in wins. Uh, with their win over Kentucky, they're going to their sixth bowl game under Mullen. They went to 13 in their entire football history before Mullen became their head coach. So pretty impressive stuff that he's doing there. Um, Now I'm not advocating any of these people should be on the hot seat, but I just think it should be interesting to keep in mind. But uh, one Auburn coach, his first three years went 8-5, 8-5, 14-0, 8-5, kind of fell apart his fourth year and got fired. Current Auburn coach, twelve and two, eight and five, now four and three. Obviously that first coach was the unceremoniously dumped Gene Chiswick, and the current coach is Gus Malzahn. I find that kind of interesting. Coach, what is his seat getting
1: warm at all, do you think? Uh, it will. Um, you know, Auburn fans and Auburn um, administration, they're you know, they've they've proven throughout their entire history that they're gonna be impatient. So, you know, they fired Chizik, pre, you know, what I think prematurely, you know, they didn't give him enough time after the national championship to kind of – he earned the right to write the ship, and and he didn't, or they didn't give him that time. Uh, Tuberville at one point, I remember they had that secret meeting with Bobby Petrino, Jet Gate. Um, you know, every coach, if you don't win the national championship, you're on the hot seat. And uh, that's just kind of how it is in Auburn. So – uh right rightfully or wrongfully, I think Malzon's on the hot seat. Um you know, I, I don't personally think he should be. They just hired Will Muschamp. Um they've got to get him, you know, a couple of years to, to really get that defense going. Uh they're gonna have to have a couple of good years recruiting, they're gonna have to find a quarterback. If they cannot find a quarterback, then yes, he should be out. But they gotta find a quarterback. They gotta find somebody who can run his offense, they gotta find they gotta find some answers on defense, they're struggling mightily. Um, and that might be uh, the previous coordinators recruiting. And uh, Will Muschamp just hasn't had the time to really get those guys going. So, um, But, you know, next year is going to be a telling year. If they, if they come out the same way, then, yes, his seat will get red hot. And it should. If they improve, and you could tell, then no. Um, but I think he's earned the right – to, uh, to have another year at least.
2: All right. Well, we all know Miami got completely bushwhacked. The loss puts Al Golden under 500 in ACC play. But it's surprising he even is coaching this year because I looked at his win loss entering 2015. It was 28 and 22, 16 and 16 in conference, which, get this, is identical to Randy Shannon, who they had no problem firing before the bowl game in
1: 2010.
2: Mm. Oh, man. Uh, So if Randy Shannon has shown the door pretty quickly after four years, it's surprising that Al Golden even had a fifth year. And the way things are going right now, uh, I don't see how he sees next season.
1: Well, um, you know, to answer your question, Josh, and that was actually going to be my next quick slant. So – uh, I guess I'll go ahead and get into it. Yeah, go ahead and get into it. We (laughs) can run audible here. Yeah, hey, call the line. It's a great segue. Uh, I think Al Golden will will see the same fate as Randy Shannon. Um, It's bad when your your university's legends are coming out on Twitter, and uh, you know if they're coming out on Twitter, they're also coming to the president and the athletic director complaining. Uh, You know, a few tweets from the weekend, Warren Sapp, um, had a screenshot of Sebastian the Ibis leading the team out. And he said, well, I get, well, the mascot leads us out of the smoke. I guess that's, I guess that's his team. Hashtag Al got to go. That was a tweet from Warren Sapp <laughs> yesterday. Um, he also said, uh, thank you, ABC. Hashtag fire him. Um, he also said, why is Co- why is Al the only coach on our sidelines without the you on him? Hashtag somebody help me with this. Uh, Brian McKinney, two time All American offensive lineman. Um, can't remember where he is in the NFL. I think he's with the, he was Vikings. the Vikings at one point. I think he still is. Uh, he said, Time to head in a new direction as a program. Enough is enough. And I sat back and have been patient and quiet long enough. And he spelled, qu- he didn't say quiet, he said quite. That's the quality
0: education you get at the U.
1: Um, <laughs> former offensive lineman Leon Searcy was a part of three national championship teams. Um, he has also come out on Twitter. He's taken some pictures of himself uh, looking mad, smoking, smoking a cigar. He said, that face you make when Miami down 21-0. Um, he also said another one uh, about to get inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, but we down 45 nothing or something like and uh, there wasn't anybody in the crowd. Uh, Joaquin Gonzalez, another former Hurricanes offensive lineman, tweeted, I'm so embarrassed. Act. Cane's all access. I would take his headset at halftime. Do not wait till the end of the season. Make a statement. Damn it. So those are a few tweets from some Miami legends. I'm sure there's more. Uh, those are the, those are the ones that have been highlighted. So, um, and yes, I, I think if you watch any Miami game, uh, the team is start, he's starting to lose the team. If he hadn't completely lost them already, uh, they just look completely in and out. And as a, in a program as a whole, uh, you know, I think they need to make some motions to, to build a uh, stadium a lot closer to their campus, if not an on-campus stadium, uh, because they're losing fan support because their stadium is an hour away uh, up, in, uh, up in wherever the former Joe Robbie stadium is. So, uh, Dolphin Stadium, Sun Life Stadium, uh, whatever they're calling it these days. Um, I, I just think the program has become – you know, kind of a laughing stock. It's almost, it's almost dipping back into the 70s version of the Miami Hurricanes and, 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 and the fact that they have been completely irrelevant for over 10 years now. Um, and they just can't seem to find any answers. They can't recruit anymore. People are coming to South Florida and poaching their recruits, um, people from all over the country. Um, and they, 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 need to, they need to get back to where they were in the 80s. They need to get back to locking down South Florida, and finding a coach that will take advantage of all of that and and get them back to a winner, they can. They, and the thing is, Josh, thing is, Professor, that that if they hire the right guy, and they 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 reemploy the uh, the state of Miami recruiting tactic that Howard Schnellenberger um, incorporated when he when he took the job back in back in 1979, I, I think they could have a very 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 quick turnaround. Um, things are really bad right now. The talent is really low. The, and, and then the talent that's there, they're just not playing. I think they've quit on the coach. So uh, they just need to find the right guy that's going to recruit the state of Miami and dominate the state of Miami, and they will get back on top very quickly. And you will see just how quick they can get back on, on top because the state of Miami, South Florida, is loaded with talent. And if they just signed 20 kids from, from Dade and Broward County, they would – they would be just fine. So, um, Al golden, I, I think it's time for a change for them. Um, you know, the, the game itself is just a microcosm of his entire tenure at Miami. Just could never get anything going took over. Well, you know, he had an excuse for two years. I think the reason he's lasted four years is because, you know, they had the bolt, they had the probation that they were on when he first started. Um, he had a built in excuse. Um, but that excuse is now done. And you're seeing what Al Golden is really going to bring to the table. Um, he, I don't think he was ready for for the spotlight. I don't think he's ready to be a major Division one college coach. He did he overachieved at Temple. He he set up Temple um, for Matt Ruley, and Matt Ruley has taken that um, taking that team and it looks like he's taking it to a to a new dimension that the professor will get into here in a little bit. So, um, I don't know where, what direction they go. There's a list of candidates, and in the offseason when when uh, we can we can uh, talk about this? We can talk about on Black Monday. Um, we can talk about different landing spots for different coaches going to different places. I think Miami is going to be one of those destinations, and uh, I tell you who they might go after um, if they don't. If they if USC does not retain Clay Hilton, look out for him. You saw what they did last night. Yeah, we'll definitely begin to that in a little bit. But so, uh, I'm glad you brought up uh, Temple
0: because that actually jumps right ni- nicely into my uh, m- my quick slant. Where obviously, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you can probably guess where I'm going. Um, that's right. It's the most intriguing conference in the country: the American Athletic. Oh, yeah. We took a look at Temple's win over ECU on uh, last Friday's pod. So we're going to skip over that and take a look at our friend Ashley Croft's Memphis Tigers and their big win over the Tulsa Golden Hurricane on Friday night. A score of 66-42. This game was an absolute showcase for two of the best offenses in the league. and They combined for 1,248 yards of total offense. Let me read that again. 1,248 yards of total offense. Um, some teams don't get that in half a season. These two teams combine for it in one game. Paxton Lynch had himself another huge game, career game for him, going 32 of 44 for 447 yards and four touchdowns and another game with no picks. He definitely continues to be the gold standard of efficiency and precision, giving him 17 touchdowns to one interception on the season. His counterpart on the on the Golden Hurricane squad, Dane Evans, wasn't half bad himself. Uh, he put up 421 yards and four touchdowns and one pick. But the Tigers were just too much for Tulsa, and they just simply couldn't be stopped in the first half or in the second half. Uh, looking ahead, though, Memphis gets to return home to the Liberty Bowl next week to take on a struggling two-lane squad before a really, really tough three-week run where they're going to have to play Navy, Houston, Temple, back-to-back-to-back weeks. And that will really go a, a long way to deciding the Conference and to see if one of these teams, you know, uh, Memphis, Houston, or Temple, uh, can make it into a a New Year's 6 bowl game. Um, all, the, all three squads are still undefeated and looking looking really strong. Um, speaking of uh, the Houston Cougars, they, came, they overcame a sluggish start to dominate Central Florida, 59-10. Uh, um, it wasn't Greg Ward Jr. in this game, actually. It was uh, running back Kenneth Farrow, who had only 13 carries, but for 167 yards and three touchdowns. So that's averaging 13 yards a carry for him. You're not going to see that every week, but obviously he really had it going on on the ground um um, elsewhere navy's keenan reynolds edged closer to the ncaa record for touchdowns with two more on the ground to lead the middies to an easy victory over the green wave of tulane um he's now two behind uh all-time ncaa leader monte ball of wisconsin and should pass him next next week against a very porous usf defense um um Cincinnati bounced back from a tough loss against BYU to beat UConn thirty seven to thirteen in Gunnar Keel's return. I'm sure that Tommy Toverville and company are very happy to have their leader back. Um they've been doing okay with Hayden Moore behind center, but Gunnar Keel is definitely um, you know, a step up in terms of talent and in terms of decision making. So um the conference is obviously in great shape right now. Um I you know, I really hope that we see uh, game day go to Philadelphia this week where Temple will be taking on um Notre Dame. And that would be uh I think that would be a, a very um, I think that would be a very appropriate and very well deserved um, you know, thing for the owls because they are having themselves a season. So is Memphis. So is Houston. And you know, in the next few weeks, it's really going to see how it shakes out. But um, we're going to have a we're going to have a couple teams here that are going to be vying for uh, New Year's Six bowl games. So um, definitely a couple things to keep your eye on. So, uh, Josh, I know you got something for us.
2: Oh yeah. Well, actually, I was still midway through my coaches, uh, so I'll wrap that up real quickly, and then I'll transition to what my second quick slant was. I guess my first quick slant got picked off and taken to the house. Oh, Um, you did? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, you mentioned uh, Temple's Matt Rule. Um, He was on the Temple staff when they had their best years and uh, was the associate head coach for Steve Adazio in 2011 when they won nine games, and then he got a job with the Giants. And Steve Adazio slipped to four wins Been at Temple and kind of had an exit strategy because he somehow got the Boston College job. And we all remember Frank Spaziani as being a terrible coach with an awesome, awesome mustache. In his first three years, he went 19 and 19, 12 and 12. Steve Adazio is currently midway through his third year. He sits at 17 and 17, 8 and 13. So he's, unless something radically changes over the last few weeks of the season, He's not going to match Spaziano's first three years of his career. And Spaziano got shown the door after his fourth year. That was a debacle. So, Matt, uh, bad, bad times at a school that you hate. So maybe you're taking delight in that. Um, well, it's a strong word,
0: but it's very appropriate <laughs> for, for my feelings about Boston College. So, um, okay. yeah, you know, I'm always happy to see them struggle.
2: Yeah. Well, I think we all know where it goes back to um, Jeff Ozinski was uh, twenty and eight, 11 and five, and doing really well at BC. Won two division titles. Finished a year in the top ten in two thousand seven. Um, interviewed for an NFL job, which was in violation of his contract, but kind of played some chicken. And I guess he lost because the athletic director fired him.
1: Mm-hmm. And that whole
2: deal. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Well, that was, that was Matt Ryan's last year, correct?
1: Correct. Yeah.
2: Well, the, the AD is not there anymore either, as you would expect with the two coaches I just rattled off. Yeah. Not doing too well. Uh, and then my last one, my last little funny coaching comparison. Um, coach, you, you'll like this one. I want your thoughts on it. But um, Kevin Sumlin's first three years in the SEC – Six and two, four and four, three and five, and they're currently midway through this year. Another SEC coach at some point, six and two, four and four, three and five, his first three years in the SEC. Who is that coach? Do you have a hint? Late 90s is when he won those games. Late 90s is when he won those games.
1: All right. Four and four, three and five. East or West?
2: A a Western team right now?
1: They're a Western team right now? Okay. Uh, That would be... I've got a guess. What's your guess, Matt? Tommy Tuberville. Very close. That's not a bad guess. That was going to be my guess. Uh, It's going to be... Houston Nut at our It is
2: Houston Nut. Yeah. (laughs) Get some. Um, So, thanks to playing 12 games a year, and then a bowl game, so he's gotten to coach 13 games, which is more than Houston Nutt did. Uh, someone has a better win percentage, but it's not by much. So I don't know if this is comforting to a Nation, but they basically currently have Houston Nutt as their coach. All right. Well. <laughs> so I, I thought that was funny to see those have, win percentages.
1: Nutt without all the uh, running.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That is true, but um, so that was my weird coaching uh, coaching comparison. My second quick sight was actually just going to be a little shout out to Washington State. I thought they had a chance to win a big road game at Arizona. They pulled it out with uh, their usual passing precision: forty-seven of sixty-two for five hundred and fourteen yards, five touchdowns, zero interceptions for Luke Falk. Uh, don't sleep on the Cougars. They're now 5-2. and two. They've ripped off three straight. They host Stanford on Halloween. So they, do they control their own destiny in the North? They do because Cal now has more conference losses than they do. So they their one conference loss has been Cal, and now Cal has two losses in the loss column. So if the Cougars win out, which doesn't seem likely because they have Stanford, Arizona State, at UCLA, Colorado, at Washington. But they could completely spoil Stanford's season next week. A bowl seems like a lock because they should be able to kill Colorado. And Washington has a really nice defense, but I don't see how they could keep up offensively. Arizona State and UCLA have been very erratic, so I'm sure there's at least one more loss or one more win, if not multiple wins for the Cougars. But – um just a great game, you know. They they almost gave it up to Arizona. I think a few years ago, this team would have. But in a day where we saw some goofy special teams, Wazoo didn't have that. They recovered the onside kick, ended the game, salted her away. Huge road victory.
0: Well, um, speaking of special teams, let's just go and get right into the play action. Um, (laughs) Because because we're we're, going to start with, you know, second week in a row, last play of the game. Josh, what do you got to be? You got to be sound in the kicking game, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Florida State, usually sound in the kicking game. Best kicker in the country with Aguero. Uh, Not so much. Uh, What
2: happened? Ah. I'm, I'm thinking that maybe uh, maybe Jimbo Fisher kind of did a, a save it and, and got a little greedy, went for the win. Um, I know it was in his range. It was only a couple of yards longer than his career long. But a kick that long, you're going to have such a low trajectory. Uh, I don't want to put it on, on Jimbo. In a 60-minute game, there are a lot of weird stuff before that. Hats off to Georgia Tech posting a shutout in the second half. Fort State ran five plays of offense in the third quarter. So, Tech, incredible ball control that entire second half. But that was my initial reaction was I thought maybe the kick was a little too long. So, maybe that's on Jimbo Fisher. I don't know. But uh, it's hard to completely slam him for one play. What do you think, Coach?
1: Uh, I think it would be completely unfair. Um, I think – uh, they had a chance late. They had a chance in the fourth quarter to seal the victory. Everett Golson throws an interception in the end zone, and I mean that was a fluky play too. That, yeah. that
2: bounced around.
1: So. That was a fluky play. Justin Thomas didn't do much through the air. He was four and ten. He was four of ten for you know, under 100 yards. Uh, that's not important. He was their leading rusher. 13 carries, 88 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, that touchdown being a 60-yard run. So he's making a difference in the option attack. And then, luckily for Georgia Tech, they don't rely on the passing game very much. Um, which is good because Justin Thomas is uh, just average at the best in the passing game. But he gives you a threat at quarterback, and he runs an option so efficiently. Um, you know, special teams, you know. And, and it's not that the kick was too long. It's not that it was a bad call. I mean, at the end of the game, yes, you you go for – you know, you got to go for the win. I don't fault him for that. Uh, what I do fault is that the coverage of the kick after it was blocked was not good enough. Um, they have to – They have to cover and they have to get in their lanes and they have to try to keep it contained. If you let if you let a return like that get to the sidelines, it's over. It's to the house. So they've got to do a better job. Um, And this is probably uh, this is probably an oversight by most coaches um, when they work special teams. They probably don't work enough on field goal cover. Because um, that's an important thing. And, it's and you know, you saw it with kick six um, when when uh, when Auburn did it. We even
0: had another kick six yesterday. We uh, had Texas State over uh, South Alabama to end the first half.
1: And, and you had a kick six there too. Um, I think they're just – I think teams are so worried about just getting the kick off that they don't probably worry about covering the kick and spreading out, fanning out, and, and covering lanes and making sure it stays contained. Um they didn't do a good job of that. Georgia Tech took advantage. Um, Lance Austin was the guy that recovered it, um, took it, I think, 78 yards. To the house. To the house, snapping Florida State's 29-game winning streak, the most that they've had since they joined the ACC when they started, when they started the ACC with 28 straight wins. So, um, you know, hats off to Georgia Tech. They had a chance to win. They took advantage of it. Um, And they took advantage of it in the third and most important phase of the game, the special teams.
0: We keep talking about special teams here on this uh, Legal Motion podcast, and there's a reason for that. Not just because I was a long snapper, but because (laughs) it is so important, um, and you can't forget about it, and that's been shown time and time again this season, and Uh, You know, we love to, you know, we we love talking special teams because you can get real into the nitty-gritty of it, and as Coach has for
2: us. So, um. I think another thing to remember, too, is, yes, Florida State was a top-ten team, but they hadn't looked the same since Jameis left. They, They were winning games, but it wasn't as impressive. And Georgia Tech, we all picked to contend, in the ACC, and they've dealt with I a. a the ACC. yeah, I mean, they dealt with a million injuries. They're one of the most banged up teams, and it, it was therapeutic, I think, for Georgia Tech to finally get one because this was supposed to be a magical season for them, and they've been like a mash unit, especially on that on their line, is both offensive and defensive. So, hats off to Paul Johnson finding a way to win this home game.
0: Yeah, that was that that was a big one, and that that's one that could really turn around their season because they've been going downhill fast. Well, um, another season-changing win happened out um, at the Coliseum, where USC uh, took on uh, number three, undefeated Utah Utes, and really took them out to the shed. um, You know, uh, with a with a really solid forty-two to twenty-four win. Obviously, Cameron Smith is the big name from this game. Freshman linebacker had three picks of uh travis wilson and uh coach what do you think was uh, you know the big key besides those besides those picks what was the big key for the trojans in this game
1: well cody kessler um cody kessler got it done he was uh he was 21 of let me pull up the stats here um and my handy dandy stat calculator but he, uh, he and while i do that he was able to get juju smith into the game juju smith went off for him he was uh you know, Cody Kessler, twenty-one of twenty-eight. Like I thought, two hundred forty-six yards and a touchdown. Juju Smith, eight catches, one hundred forty-three yards and hauling in that touchdown pass. Um, but a lot of the, a lot of their drives were set up by Cameron Smith. You know, Cameron Smith had three interceptions. Um, the, the freshman stud linebacker for the Trojans. Uh, the turnovers were the key. The turnovers were the difference because they allowed USC. To double up Utah because if you look at the, if you look at the stats, if you look at the team stats and the, and the total yards, it's pretty, pretty much the same. It was 380 to 353. Uh, They had a slight edge in the passing game, 264 to 254, a slight edge in the running, rushing attack, 116 to 99. And that's probably, that's probably attributed to the extra time of possession they had because of the four turnovers. You know, you had 34, you had 3450 versus 2501. Uh, as far as time of possession goes, you know, that's, that's the difference. They, you know, those nine minutes that they had the ball extra were enough to double them up. And, and that that's thanks to the, the defense and things like that. I, you know, and, and, and the bigger story here is that amidst all of the distraction with Steve Sarkeesian getting fired and everything that could have gone wrong for the Trojans, even after losing last week to Notre Dame, but, um, They've never quit fighting. They've never quit competing. I think Clay Helton has done a tremendous job with that bunch so far. Um, if he, I'd be surprised as of right now, unless he completely tanks the rest of the way, which I don't see that happening. I could see him being the next coach at USC. Um, I can see them taking the interim tag off of him because he knows how to prepare that team, um, and he knows he knows what makes that team go, and he knows what makes him tick, and, and he's done. He's done a great job of motivating them in a time where you have a built-in excuse to be unmotivated. You're, you're distracted. Things are happening. You're not sure what's going on. You, know, you have an interim coach. That's never an, easy, that's never an easy thing. And that's never an easy thing to ask the kids to, to, to remain focused. But, you know, they've done it. Uh, the kids believe in them. The, the team believes in them it uh, looks like the administration is starting to believe in them the fans are going to believe in them um and i think this was a game that he needed the university needed especially at home so uh to come out and dominate on defense the way they did um, and then just get their playmakers going and made it easy for them um and then then the game just got away from utah utah just uh they just you know simply put they got to take care of the football yeah you know they they got to respect the football take care of the football and uh and then that's pretty much that's pretty much it i mean they did their thing uh, UFC did their thing there, you know, as far as yards go, they were equal, but you got to take care of the football. That's, that's a, the, the, the theme of this game is as simple as it gets take care of the football. That, cause that was the absolute difference.
0: Yeah. Josh, do you think that Utah can you know, bounce back from the, from this tough loss?
2: Yeah. I think most fans at Utah, if you had told them they'd be six and one, three and one in conference at this point would take it. Um, It's kind of a tough pill to swallow when you're in the middle of a dream season, but um, I guess, you know, if we, if we replayed the audio from our Thursday show, I I picked USC to win. So I'm not surprised in the slightest USC had better athletes. It was just a matter of coaches letting them go out and play. And we saw it last week in a a tough home or tough road loss at Notre Dame where it was just free. It was like the, the handcuffs were off not having Sark there and, that was impressive how well they competed in a tough environment. And then this week back at home, getting it done in, you know, the, the coaches and players, a lot of them mentioned the crowd being really good. And it, it sounded fantastic on TV. I guess if I was to nitpick one, one thing is it was 28, 17 at halftime, which isn't a blowout Utah had, plenty of of time to get back into it. And Devontae Booker had 14 carries for the game. Ten of them were in the first half. And I was kind of flipping around between some games. As far as I know, he didn't get hurt. So why is he only getting four touches in the second half? That seemed a little strange to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Did. I mean, Booker's there. You know, his hashtag year of the running back, and we know that Booker is you know the best part of that offense. So, um, I, I think they panicked a little bit, Matt. Wouldn't you say? I think they absolutely panicked. Um, you know, Travis Wilson's a fine quarterback. Don't get me wrong, but the the bread and butter of that team is um, the bread and butter of that team is Devontae Booker in their defense. And so, I think they got away from that a little bit. Obviously, they had a lot, they had a tough time. Containing Juju smith Schuster um, and you know the the passing attack of USC, but um, you know I, I think they definitely they, they, they panicked because this is the first time this season they've been they've been behind in a game really I think um, and so I think they weren't really sure what to do but now. Um, obviously, they're going to have to regroup and get back at it next week.
2: So, Well, I think I think they can win out, to be honest. Even though I picked USC, I still like this Utah team. I think they'll get back to basics. Their remaining schedule is pretty easy.
0: Yeah, they get UCLA at home, um, which, which, which will be good. UCLA obviously looks really good this past Thursday. Um,
2: but UCLA so up and down. I know. It's hard to really predict what the Bruins will do. That, I mean, that's their last tough game. Road trips to Washington and Arizona, but you know, Washington's dealing with a lot of injuries and is so offensively challenged that I feel like if you score 21 points against Washington, you're feeling pretty good. And Mm -hmm. Arizona's defense is the complete opposite of, of Washington, you know, they're all banged up and they can't stop anyone. So
0: yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, we need to, we, we need to keep
0: moving on here at a legal motion. And we're going to, uh, take a look at, um, uh, big game in the SEC third Saturday in, uh, October, baby. Yeah. It's always, uh, Alabama, Tennessee. And Alabama got a big win at home, um, over a, you know, a, a, a Tennessee squad that was looking pretty frisky. Um, coach, when you and I were watching this game together. Um, and it really came down, uh, to that Alabama running attack, didn't it?
1: It did. Um, you know, Derek Henry did his part. Twenty-eight carries, one hundred forty-three yards, two touchdowns. Uh, the last one was a twenty-yard game-winning touchdown for the Crimson Tide. Uh, they were down actually fourteen to thirteen for most of the most of the game. Um, but the story of it, 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 you know, you could look at it one of two ways. You could look at it as Alabama sh- just struggled for some reason. Uh, they just couldn't get much going. Um, or you could say that Tennessee just had probably one of the greatest game plans of their life um, that they almost completely executed. But, um, if you look at the stats, uh, the team stats, you know, Alabama had 364 yards of total offense versus Tennessee's 303. Uh, the passing of it is 247 versus 171. And then actually Tennessee outrushed Alabama 132 to 117. That's accounting sacks and things like that. So, um, you know turnovers. They they traded turnovers. Tennessee fumbled. Uh, in Alabama threw an interception. Uh, time of possession. You have to look at the I guess the nine minutes that extra that Alabama had the ball. Um, you could point to that as a difference. Um, I guess, but you know Derrick Henry was the difference maker in this game. It, it was it was uh the stats were led by the uh, the running backs. Jalen Hurd, eighteen carries, ninety two yards, and a touchdown. He contributed uh, heavily for for the Volunteers. Um Derrick Henry, though, is, is the story of the game. Had they not had him, they probably would have lost, and they probably would have lost bad. But, you know, the defenses, I think, stepped up huge in this one. It uh, just didn't seem like Jacob Coker was ever comfortable, neither. And, and the same goes for Josh Dobbs. Um, you know, A'shaun Robinson sealed the game uh, with a strip sack here at the very end, um, allowing Alabama to then just take a knee on the football. So uh, just – you know, as off to Tennessee, they played hard. Uh, you know, Butch Jones has got this team believing. Uh, they just got to figure out ways to finish. If only they could just play. If only they could just play Georgia every week. Uh, I got. I got to break this. I'm watching a college football Sunday. It said our pilot for the last 25 years says fire Al Golden. By the way, they flew that over the stadium. Our, our pilot has as many top
0: 25
1: wins as Al Golden. Yeah. And it said fire Al Golden hashtag. So, um, but as far as Alabama goes. Uh, I just don't believe that this Alabama team has the same killer instinct. You know, they're, they're just as talented as the other Alabama teams, but I just don't think this one quite has the killer instinct unless they play Georgia. Um, and if both of these teams can out and play Georgia every week, they'd be undefeated. So, um, I just, you know, big win for Alabama. It's, it's one of those, you know, if they're going to be a playoff team, it's one of those tough, hard-fought wins, you know, when things aren't going your way that they need. Um, uh, we'll see how that, we'll see how they respond. They got a bye week coming up then they take on LSU. Um, and Leonard Fournette is, uh, this is going to be the running back clash of the century, Leonard Fournette versus Derrick Henry. So, um, exciting, exciting things to come up here in the SEC. Um, it's always as uh, triple G, uh, does it's a drama show. And, uh, some be some interesting things here triple G's a boxer for those of you who don't follow boxing Golovkin. Golotti Golovkin.
0: yeah but uh so so Josh did you uh, were we able to pick up on anything in this game?
2: yeah rough rough day for uh, for Tennessee's kicker Aaron medley mm-hmm. Um 0 for three special on, teams that's right on field goals. Um, two of them were over 50 yards so um, you know not a gimme. The other one was 43, also not a gimme. But um, if if you're attempting those long field goals, A, it needs to be in his range, but also B, that means drives were stalling. And, you know, everyone talks about the red zone, but the next stage of the field, the the 20 to the 40, is so critical. And it was just like, you know, Tennessee was getting there to the just outside the red zone area. What is that, the green zone? Is that what people like to call it now? I have no idea what people are calling it now.
0: It's not the black zone. I think that's within the five or the two. Yeah. The four drives. Out. It's usually sponsored. Yeah. Basically between, yeah. between the 20s.
2: Yeah. But, like, you know, Tennessee was, was getting in Alabama territory and then just couldn't, couldn't get close enough for easier field goals and couldn't obviously score touchdowns. Um, so hats off to Alabama's defense doing the classic bend but don't break. And – uh I, th- I think it just came down to the, the better team won. And it wasn't pretty, but, hey, a win's a win.
0: Definitely. Sometimes
2: you need that. Definitely. Well, we're going to get from uh, a,
0: a, a nice low-scoring game uh, with Alabama or Tennessee to a – big high scoring game in the ACC where Duke wins an absolute thriller four overtimes needed to beat Virginia Tech 45 to 43 it's the first four overtime game in ACC history and this was this was absolutely crazy um Thomas Sirk, no relation to Douglas, um, was uh, you know was on fire for the Blue, uh, for the Blue Devils, and so uh, Josh, what was uh, what, what did you, what did you think about this crazy crazy game?
2: It took forever to get there, but the correct team won. I thought Duke outplayed Virginia Tech most of the game, and hey, let's go back to the kicking game. Ross Martin unbelievably reliable kicker. Just, uh, I don't know. Didn't, didn't have his Wheaties or something before the game. He only went three of five kicking. Um, normally, yeah, normally he's one of the better kickers in the ACC. At one point during the telecast, I think they said he was the most accurate kicker in Duke history. So maybe, I don't know what that means though. How many kickers has Duke had? I think, well, that's a good question, but, um, yeah, like, uh, I, I don't know. It was just weird. I mean, he uh, he just didn't have it and almost cost him the game. But, uh, but yeah, Cirque, you mentioned it, Thomas Cirque, fantastic day, running the ball, passing the ball, doing it all. And, uh, he, he like I
1: said, the game passer for the game, he had over 100 yards rushing yeah. and carries, and he still managed. And I guess because they did uh, – if they did four overtimes, he gave him a chance to have 39 attempts, but he completed 19 of them for 270 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, that's not even 50%. So not exactly the greatest day passing, but he still got it. He, was, he still got it done. When it counted, he got it done, and the uh, yeah. most important part.
0: Absolutely. But you know what? I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Virginia Tech here for a minute. They have not been having the greatest season. They're 3-5, and 1-3 and three in the conference. Um, Michael Brewer uh, showed a little bit more today. He actually also had exactly 270 yards passing, only three touchdowns. But Trayvon McMillan um, was a workhorse for the Hokies on the ground, 142 yards and two touchdowns. And he, you, can't, you can't fault him for that. No, definitely not. Definitely not. But this was just, this was just absolutely crazy. It was so much fun to watch. Um, I had, you know, I, I had a blast with this on back and forth, back and forth. You, Oh, I love college overtime. There's nothing quite like it. Uh, is there Josh?
2: No, it, it's really perfect. And the NFL needs to do the exact same style. Just instead of starting at the 25, start at the 50.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree.
2: So, yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Virginia Tech having a rough season, and, I mean, you never want to blame injuries, but Michael Brewer was, you know, what, who they were pinning the entire season on, and they were competitive against Ohio State till he got hurt. He didn't play again until the Miami game, and even then he was only three of four, really didn't play too much. This is his first game really healthy, and, and you saw how good he was. I think Virginia Tech is... Going to find a way to win at least three more games. Become make bowl a, eligible. Make a bowl. Make a bowl. Um,
0: yeah, make, I mean, they, they've got some winnable games ahead of them. They play Boston College next week, so that should be a win.
2: And uh, they finish up with Virginia. So I think they'll win those two for sure. Then they just need to split Georgia Tech and North Carolina. I mean,
1: North um, Carolina surprising 6-1 and one this year. Um, I guess I guess our preseason prediction of Larry Fedora is uh, I guess they I guess they listened to our show uh, and, and Larry Fedora listened to our show because they just absolutely came out on fire. Yeah. Well, it also helps when the AD
2: scheduled them to FCS teams. So let's not forget that. Oh, this is very true. This is very true. Um, so, but well, we got to move
0: from one overtime thriller, one four overtime thriller to another four overtime thriller um, where the Hogs, the Fighting um got a big win at home over Auburn. Fifty-four to forty-six. Uh, Corey, you mentioned uh, uh, Corey. You mentioned uh, uh, Hogs quarterback Brandon Allen earlier on the podcast, and he was he was pretty
1: good in this game, wasn't he? Absolutely, he was. I mean, he had the. Uh, if you look at the game clinch, what, what was go- what ended up being the game clinching touchdown? You know, he hit the tight end uh, on, on the sideline there with a, with a beautiful pass, and, and he just took it in. Best of the way and scored. But, you know, you look at his stats 19 of 31, 233, and three touchdowns and an interception. You know you look at it in a four overtime, 54 to 46 game, and you're thinking, well, what's going on here? That's but, nothing special. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's nothing special. But, you know, this game ended up, you know, being a kind of a mediocre, you know, just a game with a score that looked better than the stats um, turned into a four overtime thriller. Uh, Field goals, and, and, and a lot of his stuff came late. A lot of his stuff came in the overtime. So um, he threw a 25-yard touchdown pass to Drew Morgan, um, And as I get you the names for that, uh, at the first, you know, in the fourth overtime. Alex Collins chipped in, rushed for over 100 yards again, 105 and a touchdown. Uh, he actually left the game late in regulation. Um, so Cody Walker had to take in for him, ran for two of the four-overtime touchdowns. So uh, Arkansas getting it done. Uh, making plays when it counts. The you know the the rushing attack has always been there for for them. Uh, Peyton Barber for for Auburn rushed for 118 and four touchdowns, um, and he accounted for all three of Auburn's touchdowns in overtime as they didn't score one in the uh, fourth overtime. Um, you know uh, Auburn Auburn is starting. They're playing a little bit better uh, defensively. You know, I, I don't know how how you can judge them based on the overtime because um, you can't judge them on the points because it was four overtimes. They just kept trading touchdowns. But you know, I, I think they played a little bit better in regulation. Uh, they still got a ways to go. Um, but you know, you let, you know, you take a look at the team stats here for for the game and and you look at the comparison. Um, you know, and it's it's fairly equal. You know, Arkansas had had the slight edge in total yards, four fifty seven to four sixteen. Uh, Auburn actually had the edge in passing. Um, that's would, a first. And uh, Arkansas had the tremendous edge in the rushing attack, and I think that's kind of where the difference lies here. Um, and then also Arkansas would have had a little bit better better go of it, but, you know, they, uh, they turned the ball over three times. Brandon Allen threw an interception, and the running backs fumbled twice. I think uh, had that not happened – I think Arkansas would have won this in, in regulation and I probably would have talked about it in my quick slant very briefly. Um, but uh, you know this turned out to be a thriller. It's just every time you thought it was about to every time you thought it was about to, to end, you know, one team, you know, whoever had the ball second in that overtime period would would score. It'd be like negative play, negative play, first down, negative play, negative play, touchdown. And then the other team would answer back, negative play, first down, negative play, Touchdown! You know, it just seemed like it just seemed like you thought one team was starting to gain an edge, and they never really did. And uh, you know, Arkansas just outlasted them, made the plays, made the plays when they needed to. Uh, defense stepped up huge in the fourth overtime, and uh, and that was that. So, um, big shout out to Arkansas! Huge win for them. Uh, Arkansas is a team traditionally, uh, for whatever reason, has Auburn's number. They seem to always give Auburn fits. Um, if they don't, if they don't win, they usually make it tough on Auburn. Uh, uh, in years that Auburn wins, so uh, for some reason, Arkansas has their number uh, this year. They had their number um, again. So, um, very impressive win for Arkansas. Belemun proven to three and four, two and two in the conference. Um, they could play spoiler, and I said this kind of in my quick slant. They can play some spoiler here coming down the stretch. You know they've got. Um, you know they got a they got an easy one next week against Tennessee Martin. Uh, they come back uh, against Ole Miss on November seventh, um, and then LSU on November fourteenth, Mississippi State November twenty first, and they end the season with their uh, Thanksgiving week contest against Missouri on the twenty seventh of November. Um, so they have a chance to ruin Miss Ole Miss, LSU, and Mississippi State's. Chances at the uh, at the SEC West title all in the same run. So um, they almost did it against Alabama. Alabama pulled away late. Um, but they, you know, I think they had some lasting effects on that one. Um, sure.
0: Yeah, Josh, how do you think that, uh, that, 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 that is Burt's team finally starting to sort of uh, establish his style or are they kind of running away with it with more with Brandon Allen?
2: Uh, I think that B. Lamar. Realized how hot his seat was getting and decided that Allen is probably his best player and just needs to win. He needs Al Davis, just win, baby. I mean, uh, gets him to 13 and 19, 4 and 16 in the conference. The two conference wins this year matches the two last year. Uh, Has a good chance to get to a bowl with Tennessee Martin and Missouri to most likely get him to five wins and then just need to go one and three in those three tough games, Coach alluded to. So I think they'll get to a bowl game. But what was striking to me is just these two defenses were not SEC defenses. I was looking at the scoring drives, um, taking out overtime. Uh, Arkansas, seven plays, 75 yards, 10 plays, 60, eight plays, 69, 13 plays, 67. Those were Arkansas's regulation drives. Uh, Auburn 1696, 1375, 13 12-93, 8 for 50, uh, and the last-second field goal. That's why that drive didn't go any longer than it did. Um, neither of these teams play much defense from what I can tell, but for Auburn, that's certainly disconcerting because that's what hit them last year, and they thought getting Will Muschamp, paying him a lot of money, was going to correct that. And through seven games, I haven't seen any improvement. And I don't think Muschamp forgot how to coach. So I think that recruiting on the planes needs to get better. I'm not sure it's an athletic standpoint, but it's certainly a they're not where they need to be standpoint. I, I don't know what's going on between the ears for some of these Auburn defenders, but they look terrible.
0: Yeah, they they really have not not looked great so far this year. And if he's supposed to be the best defensive coordinator in the country, like that's not set. said. He's, he's really, getting paid like it. he's getting paid like it, but he's not showing it on the field. So uh, we got to wrap it up here, but we're gonna we're gonna finish it off actually with a, a little new segment, a little a couple parting shots here. So I'm gonna toss it over to Coach for our first parting shot.
1: Well, uh, first parting shot, um, and Matt, I think you, you're gonna uh, talk about a, a very good one. So I'll talk about this other one. Watch out for Oklahoma. They're six and one right now. They had a huge win, 63-27 over Texas Tech, and a game that we talked about the the, the possible subplot. Well, that subplot ended up motivating Oklahoma more than it did Texas Tech. Um, but Samaj Perine, twenty three carries, two oh one with four touchdowns. hashtag Year the running back. Watch out for Oklahoma as they come down the stretch. And uh, that's my parting shot. Uh, also, uh, real quick, Baylor. 45-27, looks like their offense struggled a little bit. Um, Seth Russell might be uh, out for the year. He fractured. He has a fracture in his neck uh, that they're going to further evaluate. So he could be possibly out for the year, um, if not longer. So um, Baylor's going to have to find an answer at quarterback. Josh? Well, just playing off that Seth Russell
2: comment, hats off to the Cyclones. They were down 35-7 to at half. They could have shut down shop. They didn't. They held Baylor scoreless in the third quarter, got a touchdown back themselves. When Seth Russell got hurt, the reason he was playing was it was only a 15-point game. Uh, Cyclones didn't show it really on the scoreboard when it was all said and done, but certainly improved effort. Uh, A couple teams to look out for. Everyone's talking about the uh, three undefeateds in the American Conference. Yeah. Um. Navy is five and one overall, but they're three and zero in conference. Uh, they travel to Memphis in a few weeks. They travel to Houston late in the season, but they're not going to roll over. So, certainly some wildness from that conference left. And Bowling Green, I ranked them twenty fifth in the country in my poll. I think people thought I was crazy to have two MAC teams. Falcons uh, responded, making me look good. Forty eight nothing win over Kent State. They waxed them. And then a third team to look out for, San Diego State, they just killed Utah State, who was coming off that emotional win over Boise State. And the Aztecs are in the driver's seat of the Mountain West, West Division. But also, based on records, they would host the title game. So even if Boise State emerges, Utah State gets back on track, whoever it is from the Mountain Division – We'll have to travel to San Diego State, and that's not an easy place to play because uh, the Aztecs do a good job of opening up their their seats to uh, all the Navy servicemen right there. And despite being a small school, not much footprint in a pro town, seems like Qualcomm has decent crowds, better than you'd expect um, for for such a small footprint in that city. So. Way to go, Aztecs Rocky Long's team really getting back on track after a horrendous one and three start to the season.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, um, for my final parting shot, we'd be remiss here at the Illegal Motion College Football podcast if we didn't mention the tragedy in Stillwater. Uh, you probably already know this if you're listening to the podcast, but, um, a, uh, an apparently, uh, drunk woman uh, drove a car into a crowd at the homecoming parade on Saturday morning, killing four people and killing a two-year-old baby. And, um, you know, Obviously uh, the whole, our our hearts and and prayers go out to the whole Oklahoma state community. Um, The, um, the Cowboys uh, responded with a you know a, a really big win, um, but that's obviously coming second in everyone's mind right now um, in Stillwater because you know it just you know this kind of thing reminds you that you know football is all important to us, but um, it reminds you that you know there are that there are bigger things out there than football, and so our, our hearts and prayers go out to everyone in, uh, in in Stillwater and everyone who's part of the of the Pope family, and um, we hope. that that um you know all those who are still injured we know that there are you know dozens of people injured from this we hope that they get a speedy recovery and um uh, you know just you know we're thinking about you guys and uh we hope that you know things can get uh, back to normal soon. Um, obviously, the, the Cowboys had a had a really big win, and they host um, they host all the tough games coming up for the rest of the year. TCU, Baylor, and Oklahoma. So they still have a chance to play spoiler or possibly come out as you know as champ and make the playoff. But um, I don't think that's the first thing on their minds here on this Sunday morning. So with that, um, on behalf of Josh Cook and on behalf of my gracious host, the coach, Corey Burton, I am the professor saying see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at IllegalMotionPodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at Illegal underscore Motion.
1: Thank you for listening
0: to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and
1: search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.